Hello. Thank you all for joining us this uh, afternoon. And thank you all for leaving the beautiful weather and joining us inside here. I know usually the weather and the sunshine wins. So yeah, they're crazy. Thank you so much for all joining us all here. Uh, I want to thank uh, initially uh, 154 and everyone on the 154 team for making this happen, for putting this together. Uh, Zainab and Amy for bringing us all here. Lily and Simon as well. Uh, and I can't uh, thank enough, first of all, Turia, who is the rock star behind everything related and happening in Marrakesh. And, oh, and now you were... Can, can we still be friends? Or are you... <laughs> no, honestly, it's a pleasure being uh, with Turia and having her with us on this panel, and not only that, but also as a good friend. I'd like to introduce myself. I'm Mayil Deeb uh, from Sotheby's. I'm... Uh, <laughs> thank you. Um, I'm, um, the, I'm a co-head for the Arab and Iranian, Turkish, all the region <laughs> of sale, which is, sounds a lot fancier than it actually is. Uh, but also I want to thank uh, Ariana Khan who from Sotheby's who managed to put all of this together. I really did not do anything, honestly. She, she did all the heavy lifting. And also I need to give a shout out to my colleague Adriana Lalim who's the deputy director for the African sale. So between us you have all the other, co the, the whole region, the Middle East, Africa, Iran, Turkey, you have, you have it covered. Um, our topic is actually, I was just having this conversation, quite expansive, inclusivity in the arts, culture, and commerce. And I don't know about you guys, I was looking at the questions that Ariana presented, and I thought this should be a university course because it was, it's really uh, quite impressive. It looks like a course that we could teach in like an executive business class or something of that sort, because it, it is a, a meaty subject. And we're gonna start to try to dissect it or unpack it and uh, discuss things. And one of the first questions I wanted to ask everyone is to introduce yourself and also um, to um, please say why Marrakesh and why art. And I think I'm going to start with Turia with that because this is the best uh, entryway for you. Hi, everyone. My voice is completely gone, so you're going to, I apologize for this rocky. Uh, uh, husky voice, but uh, it's not done on purpose. So my name is Toria. I'm the founding director of 154. So 154 started in 2013 in London, where basically we started the platform as a response to the omission of um, a presence of international uh, in the international stage of uh, artists coming from the African continent and the diaspora. Um, after two years, we were able to expand to New York, so we did uh, 154 New York. Uh, it was always a dream of ours to be able to come back to the African continent and be able to do the same platform and present African artists on the African continent. So we started uh, the new version of 154 Marrakesh in 2018, and we're obviously very happy to be able to welcome Sotheby's and you know um, everyone here in Marrakesh at La Mamounia for this third edition. Anything else? And why Marrakesh? <laughs> so this is also our first uh, presence as Sotheby's in official presence as Sotheby's in Morocco. And it's really been an honor for us. And thank you so much for having us, really. But why Marrakesh? So... So Marrakesh, so basically, to be honest, having 154 in Africa was always, you know, a desire, but uh, most of the collector base, you know, that we are um, uh, seeing over in London and in New York is a very international collector base. So for us, it was important to be able to create a platform on the continent, but was still going to be a very successful commercial, you know, initiative. And to do that, we had to make sure that we had enough collectors coming, you know, to a particular city um, that. Uh, you know, was it based in Africa, but would be attractive enough to get you know all the, the international collectors inside, um, you know, in, in that particular city. So we looked into different cities in in Africa, um, and then you know it became a question of you know how easy and uh, attractive the city was for the collectors. And Marrakesh, not because I just love it and it's my city, seemed to be the most attractive um, city to be able to do the platform. Uh, to attract enough 
of uh, international people that were excited to come to discover, you know, the artistic scene in Marrakesh. And to be fair, it had one of the strongest artistic scene existing already um, in uh, in the on the continent. So it just uh, helped to be here, and you know, we had a, a lot of. Um, 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 <clears throat> how you say, facilities in terms of being able to expand, you know, and have partners, you know, uh, institutional partners, but also uh, artist studios visits, you know, to be organized, like Hassan next to me here, you know, he has his own Riyadh in Marrakesh, but he had also so many different, you know, partnerships that were able to be introducing things to him, but, you know, Marrakesh, and I mean, you can see it through the program of the fair, is very rich in, in, in existing platforms, so it seems just a logical, you know, decision when it came to choose well I have to agree this is one of it's my first trip ever to Morocco and Marrakesh specifically and the the diversity in ev from everywhere from the Middle East from Africa from America from Europe uh, I don't think I've seen that rich diversity anywhere before so I have to applaud you for that and I think maybe that is courtesy of Marrakesh and if we can also, um, I will pass on the, the yes. mic to Hassan, <laughs> with pleasure, as to like, how was it that, you know, um, Hassan is a legend, I know I share I know the same sentiment as my co-panelists as being, you. you are amongst the fan club here, really, a uh, fan club you. of women, all of us, oh, we're surrounding you, but a major fan club. Well, I'm so. going to get really shy now. Um, no, no. So, <laughs> my name's Hassan Hajjaj. Um, I suppose I live between London and Marrakesh. Uh, I've been active as an artist coming up to 30 years. Um, um, what can I say? Um, it's been, for me, it's been a, a long journey. Um, you know, when I started, there was, I would say, in the 90s, I felt a little bit alone, kind of drifting alone by myself as what's so-called North African and Arab artists. There weren't as much social media. There weren't that many platforms for people like myself. Uh, there weren't that many galleries, magazines. Um, so seeing it to go from that to now, it's been an incredible journey. And to see the younger generation now being active and also, um, sort of, I suppose, them not waiting for anybody, but just get on with it. Um, why Marrakesh? You know, I, I've been living here since 1997. I live in Medina. Um, like everybody else, when you come to Marrakesh, there's a, an immediate sort of uh, falling in love with the city and, and the ambience. Um, for me, you know, living in Medina, it's a different, uh, it's for me has, uh, it gave me, I suppose, I moved to England in 1973. And, uh, you know, when I came back to move here, I needed something that's, um, I wanted to have some tradition, something that I grew up with. And Marrakesh gives me that, and also gives me international uh, scene as well, because people come from all over the world. Funny enough, there's people I've met here that would never give me a minute in London or New York. <laughs> um, so Marrakesh has been a, a great background, a, a playground, I suppose, for people coming here, especially creative people. Um, and I've seen it develop from one thing to another. I think now it's pushing up to nearly two, three million people, where when I uh, was here, it was about 700,000 people. Um, and, you know, like as Taria coming and bringing 154, it's kind of bringing uh, another side to the art scene. Um, so for me, it's really it's a mixture of this that I fell in love with Marrakesh. Thank you so much. Thank and you. I know as well that Amy had the same, you had this falling in love moment. I know you, we spoke about it briefly uh, yesterday for breakfast and... and it's very interesting also your story with the arts and your story with Marrakesh especially. So um, my name's Amy Christensen and I also would just like to say a huge thank you to Ariana from Sotheby's for organizing this and for her vision and Zineb for being a co-host and Simon and Lily and the entire panel. Um, so uh, I guess I'm going to, I guess I'll answer two questions. One, uh, what I do and two, uh, why yes, Marrakesh? Exactly. Uh, because they're both very much intertwined. Um, so my background is in social work in the nonprofit sector. I worked for 20, 25 years uh, first as a social worker and then uh, in foundation work. And I have recently started a social impact business. Uh, it's a luxury fragrance company. And I always knew that I wanted to do something to help Moroccan women. 
I've been coming to Morocco for about 20 years uh, with my dear friend Zineb. I think I've been here 70 times now, and uh, I always say I was Moroccan in a past life. And I knew that I wanted to use be a vehicle for social change and help women in Morocco. So what our company does is we take the waste product from perfume, we upcycle that waste, and we've converted that into a line of products that the female flower harvesters sell. So we've trained them to be their own micro-entrepreneurs. Um, and why Marrakesh? Uh, the answer to the question is the same as the answer to the business. Why did I start the business and why Marrakesh? Because of Zineb's family welcoming me so much 20 years ago, I really got to see this country through her eyes and have fallen in love and um, and appreciate so much the deep wisdom I think that this culture and society has and the ability to be creative. So I'm delighted to be here. Thank you. Thank you. And then Siobhan, also you were sharing with us, Siobhan, from, um, I, I know from Helmer Bags and we were discussing this also yesterday, the whole idea of how to tie back into Marrakesh. And I know initially you had started the business in, with uh, artisans in Bali, but now there's this element that includes Marrakesh, and I think it's fascinating, with not only Marrakesh, but also with the arts. So I'm sure you can share with us a lot more. I'm not doing this justice. No, no, no. Um, hi, everyone. My name is Siobhan Helmer, and um, I have a very complex background. <laughs> I, I'm Jamaican, and I grew up in the US, and I've lived in Europe for over 30 years, I would say 38 years now. And uh, of that, I lived 20 years in the south of France, in Montpellier. And so I, I think from living there, I've always had a very close tie to Morocco, because I would say half of our friends, and one of them that I've known for almost 30 years is here with us. And so it was natural. So it's not even a why. It's just, it's like, a, you know, going from France to me, especially, you know, given that. Um, but what do I do? I am the uh, founder of Helmer, uh, that is, which is a lifestyle accessory brand that was started exactly, I would say, five, six years ago by my daughters and I. And uh, that came out of a need to address something that I saw being a mother. I grew up with, I have three kids, and the last one is a boy, and he's always dreamt of having his own business. So since he was a baby, he expressed that, Mom, I, you know, I want to be you know, the head of my business. And I had two girls that never expressed that. And I found that very strange because being a strong woman, I, I didn't get why they felt that their need was to go and work for someone and not to start their own business. So, that, so in order to prove something to myself and to them, I started this business six years ago um, with them. So actually, they're the one that does most of the work. <laughs> and um, at the same time, we, had, um, we decided that we were going to make it not about us, but it was about um, being intermediaries, actually, you know, culturally, bringing other people's culture through our whatever we made, whether it be a bag, a coat. Um, and that way, we are sharing it with the rest of the world. So um, Helmer Bag, we produce most of our bags in Bali, and we have decided now to come back to Africa. Uh, 28 years ago, I designed and made most of my clothes with African material. At that time, that was not very popular. I think I was the only one doing that. And uh, um, of course, we didn't have internet, so it was very difficult. Um, so we decided to come back to reuse the material I used 20 years ago, basically. So I uh, decided that what we wanted to do was to make, uh, to, to find Marrakesh is the perfect location for between expanding Africa and Europe. So, you know, we can get... It's uh, a gateway. It's a gateway, Absolutely. exactly. So we can get all this amazing material from all over Africa, and we still have this amazing craftsmanship and artisanship here. And I think uh, also you were talking specifically, sorry to cut you, about the arts and how your involvement with the arts in Marrakesh specifically 
with your friend and I'm blank mini exactly so yes yes absolutely so in uh, to celebrate this this whole time together um, uh, we decided to use one of our bags and to get it painted by a Moroccan artist who is actually one of our good friends that we knew from from Montpellier and um, to commemorate just this whole you know this introduction to working here actually I actually happened to have it with me so so yes, so the whole idea of this is the idea of traveling. So it's going from north to south. Also, you know, we also travel inside. So it's a, it's it can be deeper than just physical traveling. It could be you know something a travel into the interior of yourself. Um, I don't want to continue anymore. <laughs> so I think there's a lot we're gonna be we're yeah. gonna be touching upon. Yeah. And Toria, to go back to you, and I know you asked me not to ask too many questions because of your voice, but you're the star here also. So I think we need to we need to give you enough voice time and 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 breaks as well. But there's this whole concept, and I always find that in whether it be at Sotheby's or as as a per, through personal life, this concept of local versus global and how to avoid being pigeonholed into one niche market. And, for example, you have successfully had 154 in London, New York, and Marrakesh. So you're offering a wide variety of platforms. But I think, how do you change this simplifying or this niche concept of West versus East or this dichotomy of the world, the first world, or the not for not the developing world. So I know it's not the, the easiest of ones, but I'm sure you have the best answer for it. Well, the world is so much more complex than the east and the west or the north and the south and, you know, Africa versus the rest of the world. But what I found very interesting since I've started uh, in 2013 is, you know, what you find emerging or developing or, you know, what you consider emerging versus developing, you know. And I feel like what I've observed is that when you have an artist in in Africa that is 60 years old, you know, with an amazing established, you know, career in on the continent in his country, he will always be an emerging artist to the eyes of the West, for example. So uh, it depends who you talk to and how they interpret it, you know, they interpret the artist. But because all the books and, you know, all the art history has been written by the West, um, there will always be this West versus, you know, unless we do something about it and we change, you know, how we, or we write a bit of the you know the, the the art history book so i think in terms of what we do so we're in a very special so niche because we are in a way we 154 so i have to correct you because it's not 154 <laughs> no no but everybody calls it 154 but i mean the original name is one for one continent but 54 for 54 countries so even though we are always talking about you know a certain category and we are obviously, you know, representing artists from the continent and the diaspora. For us, it's very important in the name of the fair to really underline, you know, the fact that we obviously are talking about the multiplicity of culture, of languages, of, um, of um, you know, creation and, and, and inspirations. And I think that um, in terms of, you know, how we want people to see Africa or, you know, where we are in the geography and how people perceive us is more, you know, about trying to have a more open mind and, in, you know, in the narration or what they see or their curiosity rather than, you know, trying to think, you know, about West to the, you know, to the, 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 the East or the North, to the, you know, we really are trying to make sure that this dichotomy is actually kind of blurred now because I think it's not really the point anymore. And for people who are still referring, you know, to this kind of dichotomy, it's like a bit passé to my, to my eyes. Well, I, I totally agree with you, and I, we see that all the time, whether it be in our Middle Eastern sales or in our African sales. For example, we have a great work by Mohammed El-Milihi from 1963, and it was painted while he was in New York, and it's this great example by Milihi, and really, really uh, a tribute to his time in New York and his the contemporaries he was working with in New York. And if you come and you talk to a New York collector, they're like, what... But it's not something I'm aware of. And it's definitely based on the fact that the canon of art history has been written by 
a non by a completely white Western perspective, and that really ends up sort of sidelining a lot of great artists and a lot of great institutions that have been working for years upon years upon years. And Hassan, I will jump to you because you've been working now for 30 years and, and there's this, and you're everywhere. Like I open Vogue, I see Hassan. Billie Eilish, I see Hassan. Everywhere I see Hassan. So this, this jump has been really fantastic and great because I, it's, I'm, I'm so proud to see you getting really the credit that you well deserve. And, and I will... And I now pass this on to you because I missed also your show in Paris, which I heard was the absolute fabulous show. Um, well, thank you for that. Um, can you hear me? Hello. Uh, I mean, you know, saying that there was a long journey. Um, and I remember uh, an interview with um, Hot Chili Peppers, I think around 2000, when they got popular with one of their albums. And um, and I remember seeing them being active around late 80s, early 90s. And the interviewer said to them, ah, oh, well, this is great. You make, you know, like you're known and, uh, you know, you're doing really well, you're famous and all this kind of stuff. And one of them turned around to Palmer and said, what? We've been fucking on the road for 18 years. And that stayed with me because uh, it's only now that, you know, my work, I think I have to thank social media because of that, that definitely won't be, you know, where I'm at with. Um, and it's sort of taken a long time, a lot of heartaches, a lot of uh, ups and downs. As, and I remember when we met, talks about 154, a few started. And I remember the beginning of the journey. Um, so I think to get to this point and maybe not just being recognised, but trying to break these doors, like you said, because all these are coming from the West, it's coming from outside. And, you know, as an artist from here and living in London, it was still not easy. You know, you always become secondary if you have a show in the last room, you know, Vogue magazine, you know, when you looked at it on the, when they hanged up the picture, it was the third picture, third. So you can analyse it in a different way. But for me, it's, it's not, it's going through, breaking the barriers. You are breaking through and yeah. you are breaking barriers for sure. Well, I'm, yeah, I hope I, you know, I mean, it's open doors for more. And I think also some, uh, some of these magazines or fashion or music, there's a, there's a change. You know, a lot of these, uh, let's say, uh, new people who are taking these uh, seats of these big companies, they're growing up on hip-hop, they're growing up traveling, they're growing up on social media. So it's, easy, it's not easy yet, but it's easier for somebody to take a risk on somebody like myself or somebody younger, uh, you know, with this uh, you know, new attitude. And I think this is... In some ways, it's good, and you know, hopefully, it could just continue more and more for for other artists as well. Thank you so much, Thank and you. Amy and Siobhan, both of you have this have a different sort of. Uh, it's it's coming from, let's say, for you from America and from Europe, and coming to Morocco, and then taking this product that is Moroccan made, but also making sure that it stands out amongst the best of the best in the world. And how do you deal with like, like I know I've I we all we all have this. There's this stigma with oh it's not made in France oh it's not in Grasse. How do you handle that with the the whole perfume situation? So well, it is it is made in France actually. Sorry, so it's, I apologize. It's fine. Um, so we source our ingredients from around the world. I apologize. Our, I thought okay. you were made in. Um, but our social impact work is specifically in Morocco, in Tidas, in a rural community. Um, but I, I love the question that you asked because I think that it's really uh, it's an opportunity uh, for me that I find personally exciting, seeing really the evolution of humanity and really the fusion of East and West and North and South. And that is something that I've done in my personal life and also my professional life. And I think that that brings out uh, the best in humankind because then you have the opportunity to... Be a global citizen. Be a global citizen and, and, f and take the best from each society and fuse that. Um, so one of the reasons that I started the perfume, in addition to wanting it to be a vehicle for social change, was uh, I had grown up traveling to the Middle East and North Africa through my grandmother's foundation work, and I also lived uh, in the Gulf countries for several years. And throughout those experiences, I learned that Perfume distillation actually did originate in the Middle East, and depending on who you ask, it's either Syria or Persia, but it's of Middle Eastern origin. And 
for me, having a love of this culture and knowing that there's a product that people wear every day, but not knowing that it comes really from this part of the world, I felt like that was um, unjust. I wanted to, I wanted to be able to promote that there's all of these gems that have come from this region um, that not everyone is aware of. I also think about your question in a sort of local versus global uh, lens. And for us, although we're a global business, uh, we, we are made in Paris, we're based in London, we're sold in 23 countries around the world. Um, but for us, it's really also about thinking locally and making sure that we're able to empower the women who are at the base of our supply chain because that is ultimately the purpose for the brand. It was really lovely. We had lunch with three of yeah. the women who are part of your cooperative. Mm -hmm. And it was really wonderful because you 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 felt that there was this sense of pride yes. in what they were doing and this sense of ownership. And it's seeing the final product and seeing the final product not only appreciated by you, as because that's an obvious thing, but by everyone else. And I felt that, that this is this sense of empowerment that also, Siobhan, I feel you are trying to impart on your daughters this, this sense of you can also be as successful as a woman, not only as, because you had said also as a business owner, you wanted them to see a woman as a business owner, not only as a man as a business owner. And, and I'll... Absolutely. And um, not only that, if you imagine, you know, we are... Um, a minority <laughs> family, <laughs> um, and that's probably putting it very lightly, um, but it's also to show them someone that looks like them owning a business and being able to be successful. And I, I think one of what, what's interesting is that I think, I mean, being totally honest, we've always judged our success based on what's been said in Europe, European standards, and I think that is absolutely changing, that now we are beginning to look for validation among ourselves and we are no longer as uh, um, occupied with that being the barometer of what is good, good taste anymore, you know, and uh, um, we are breaking barriers. And so I just see this time as a great opportunity actually for us to take, you know, um, control of our narratives and not let it be imposed on us as it has been, you know, um, over the years. But, um, yeah, I do work globally and I do, um, I do work, glo I mean, everything I'm done is sold globally, but everything we do and make is made locally. And I think um, that seems like a recipe for success from, from my point of view, because of course it benefits the local community as long as you know, we're talking about appropriating um, people's culture and you know, having respect and you know, doing it with uh, making sure in the right conditions. And uh, I think that's what we strive to do. That's actually great because it takes me to my next question and you can, and how are we socially conscious of what we're doing, whether it be in the arts, in the we're all uh, part of this creative space, an ecosystem which we all share, the luxury ecosystem, and it's the creative ecosystem. So we all are part of this. And how can we be socially uh, conscious? How can we be ethical? And and that really dovetails right into my last question, and I will hand it over to you. Well, um, I think. As, you, as we have all agreed, um, knowledge is keen. Um, knowledge is everything. And I think one, you know, I have a saying that's, you know, when you know better, you do better. So, um, and I think th that's what's happening. People are, you know, being more and more aware. We, as consumers, we are demanding more, you know, and uh, as global citizens that we, you know, I think once you start to travel and, um, interact with other people, you realize that we are actually one. And the need to, um, to make this world better, not just for yourself, but for everyone else, and to preserve the world. So I think um, it's just a natural progression that if I start to work in Marrakesh that, or in Bali, that I respect totally the culture of the people and doing it in harmony with them. It's no longer me. They are not working for me. We are doing a collaboration 
It's never been me or my business. I'm a it's not ego driven. It's no, it's a representation. I'm I'm trying to represent them at their best to, to help them to 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 keep their to keep their um, craftsmanship, actually, and and it's, and it's really preserving the craft and it's this art and a form that it, it's ex it's great news because also you were saying how to up your upcycling, upcycling a lot of the. The flowers that are used, and is and then this is also a sort of this social uh, social impact that you're also having. If for me, from my point of view, professional and personal, um, you know, how can we do this? How can we be more socially conscious in our lives? Having worked in the nonprofit sector for 20 or 25 years, I feel like the next iteration of social change is through business and not more traditional philanthropy. And I feel very strongly, and I think I'm a big nerd about this, how excited I get, but I feel very strongly that if we use waste and we upcycle waste, we can give that back to the people at the base of the supply chain in any industry and empower them. And it can be a win-win situation. Um, you know, So I believe we can change the world through business and commerce. Absolutely, and I think that's something that we're recognizing even more through venture philanthropy and everyone uh, recognizing how important venture philanthropy is because you simply can't uh, maintain this road of philanthropic giving without a sustainable formula. And I know, Hassan, also uh, with what you're doing in Marrakesh and with... So how do you, how do you reconcile this art with the social and ethical conscience? I know it's loaded, but... Uh, no, that's but okay. Um... I mean, you know, my work is about people and you uh, obviously asked me a question later on, you went straight to the top, Billy Eilish. Um, but I have to, you know, for me to get to there, I have to never forget what got me there, which is my friends and friends of friends and some local people. So I'm always aware of this when I'm putting the work. Um, you know, as you know, I work with a lot of artisans in, in Marrakesh. Uh, producing, the, you know, the outfits I'm designing for my pictures and stuff, and for me, this also gives me an, uh, an opportunity to know my culture, to be sitting down with the person who sews for me, uh, you know, that does the sewing and hearing stories, or the person who makes my babouche. Um, and also, there's that in the back of your mind, you know, you, you know, I'm not helping, but if anything that I can bring back and put in, it's an extra. Um, and at the moment, you know, if uh, I've if I can get, you know, like I have to thank, thank 154 for helping me, for example, to promote a young Moroccan photographer. So I'm doing my bit, but I don't want to sort of do it like because of charity thing or something. Just doing it what feels correct for me uh, and really, you know, sort of show love with the people. Uh, thank you. Um, and really trying to just, you know, and I always believe if you help one person, you know, it's better than not helping none uh, if you touch one person. And so I'm aware of this, and I'm really sort of strive on this as well. And uh, while I'm saying that, I'm going to do a quick advert tomorrow. <laughs> I have an opening for um, the uh, Ishmael Zaidi at my place. There's a young Moroccan photographer between two and four. And for me, you know, I'm very proud and very honored to have his work and to be showing him that he thinks they have way around, but he doesn't know that I'm, you know, I'm a big fan. And then from six until eight, I'm doing this great... Um, project with 11 women with two other photographers, Leela Hida and uh, Nordin Tis Tisrani um, and basically it's the women that run this foundation um, association, is it foundation or association? Bilaj, Dar Bilaj um, yeah, exactly, sorry Yeah, not yet, but we get there um, so basically it's a, it was a great uh, we you know, they normally work there, some of them sew, some work in the kitchen, some, uh, you know, basically working women in the Medina. And the idea was to, uh, we spent a year on and off, get, you know, between the three photographers trying to push them to take pictures, and we got there. And tomorrow we're having their show, they're open for, for them. So it's 11 photographers. And for these kind of things, really, it makes me feel like I'm doing the, the right thing for myself. So this is, you know, this is the way, I'm, the way I work. Thank you. Thank you so much. And Turia, I know uh, having the fair in Marrakesh, the, the economic impact you're having on the city and all of that, that's, would you like to shed more light on that? 
Of I'm, course. I'm sure half term and we were having ve- was very competitive to find hotels <laughs> right now. It was uh, tricky. Well, first of all, I want to add something to Hassan's work because I have to say since I've met him, he's always been every time we had a collaboration. Oh, why don't you use this amazing musician group? You know, you have they will add so much to your to your fare. How about that tea guy? You know, like add him up to this uh, lounge of yours. And, and I have to say he has always been one of the person that I know is thinking about his community first and it's always been a pleasure to work with him because you see how he elevates everyone with him so I have to say that you're a sustainable person right there <laughs> and regarding 154 so I mean besides the fact that 154 has always been a platform that tried to challenge you know the the existing structure because we didn't feel they were you know they were I don't know how to say the word but they were fair because from the beginning, you know, we were, you know, trying to present artists that were not part of the narrative and not, you know, represented in the, on the international global stage. So we are rooted in three different continents. The two first one, you know, in the in London and in the US was to actually make sure that this balance of being able to integrate all those artists to, you know, the, the, the larger picture uh, was a necessary, um, a necessary, I guess, move in many ways. Um, and being in Marrakesh was the move of, you know, trying to go back to, um, you know, being on the continent, being proud of where, you know, all those artists were coming from. Uh, we don't forget that we have a social role. So, for example, in Marrakesh, we have the, 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 the you know, the, one of our strongest, I think, uh, uh, you know, competitive, you know, advantage in being, you know, fair in Marrakesh is actually all our partners and our collaboration here. So I think the fair is being very unique here because of all this program that we're able to put together all around the city. And this is, you know, a huge work of collaboration and trying to make sure that we are a sustainable platform, but at the same time we are, you know, a platform of exchange, of openness, of inclusivity. So, for example, in terms of being in a luxurious place like La Mamounia, uh, for us it's very important that everybody feels welcome so we don't have a ticket so everybody can come into the fair. Uh, obviously, as soon as the fair is not on professional days, you know, but from Saturday to Sunday, it's free for everyone. So that was for us very important to do that in Morocco and to extend the program to different platforms inside the city just in case they did they find Mamamounia too exclusive and didn't want to dare, you know, to come here to see the show or do something like that. But I think, you know, in terms of our everyday life and on being sustainable, we understand that we are probably not very good in terms of the CO2 emissions and bringing all the people in, in Marrakech. Well, you have to win some and lose some. You exactly. can't win it all. But at the same time, I know we are trying to use, for example, always, you know, already existing locations. So we're not building a tent. We're not, you know, consuming generators, powers, or et cetera, like that. We're always in already built, you know, uh, locations. Uh, we try to reuse walls most of the time for the walls of the of the fair where we hang the, the, the paintings. But, you know, we do everything we can in our own level. So we're all thinking in the art world of probably, you know, better way to ship the artwork. Uh, nobody wants to take, you know, a boat to come to Morocco yet, but uh, we'll, we'll work on that. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, uh, I think it's important that, you know, everybody lives their life, but we're all more aware of how we live it and how we are, you know, participating in this sustainability. And also because we are, you know, about Africa, for me from the beginning, as much as, you know, we are thinking to be a sustainable business, it's very important. We did not want to be seen as a, as a, <clears throat> as a charity, you know, or non-for-profit. So, And it's tying to your concept of venture, uh, venture philanthropy and not, it, through business you can create an impact as well. It's not only through charities that you can create an impact. Exactly. So my last question, and I know I've, I've like, it, this was really heavy, and I hope we've imparted on you something interesting. And, but where do you see yourself in the next five years? 
So I think you know one of the most important part for us is that you know we continue to 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 have strong fares. So uh, we will do our best, you know, to continue to 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 work on developing the fares and developing each of the location, you know, to make them even more sustainable. I mean, for us, it's very important that you know we are relevant. So and to be able to respond, let's say to where people are thinking we need to be and you know because of the people we represent we we need to make sure that we are in the space that they want to be part of um, I mean I don't have a honestly a 10-year plan I wish I did um, but I mean five years also no right? five years but you know it's funny because a lot of the question I had over the years is like you know we are getting there we're getting more integrated we're getting more artists you know in the mainstream and getting them into you know international exhibitions and international art fairs and I always say that is like what would be the role of 154 when you know the balance is correct and you know will, will, do we still exist and I, I think say, it's we have a good you have 10 years <laughs> I think if we can achieve that no, in 10 years Toria you'd have yeah yeah, I, we have a long journey, but I mean, in any case, it will be our, our, our most beautiful death if we <laughs> we didn't have to exist anymore, you know, because uh, we were completely part of the of the global stage and the international. We're getting market. it is it is. I think it's changing, and and Hassan, you were talking about this slightly. So, for you, the next five to ten ten years. Inshallah. Inshallah. Of course, we say inshallah. But any, what do you? Uh, uh, what I mean, can you foresee if you had a magic uh, Aladdin? Um, I mean, I've, alhamdulillah, I've got next year. I'm sort of kind of got a few things coming up. So I know the next Anything year. Anything you can share? Um, I have uh, a show in uh, New York in September, like two show, two solo shows running concurrent. Uh, uh, <laughs> I'm doing uh, Soul DXB, hopefully presenting Morocco in, in Dubai in December, uh, which is more, it's about music, fashion, food and art and sneakers. <laughs> um, so, and then next year, yeah, I'm just talking uh, maybe a show in South Korea, um, uh, something in DC. So. That, but at the same time, I'm trying to say no, um, just concentrate on more specific shows. And been very lucky, as Tuya said, uh, you know, sort of got to a position where I've showed like MEP, uh, you know, I'm showing a place called Photographisco. So, uh, you know, I'm, I've kind of came up through a lot of commercial galleries, which is more different when you sometimes artists go direct to a museum. It's a different journey, you know, so I've come from different way and now I'm sort of getting in big collections and stuff like that. Me personally, I'm, um, I'm doing an exciting project, nothing to do with the art, but it has some kind of artistic stuff there. I'm doing a tea brand. <laughs> but but wow. with this, I'm trying to put art and music with it. Um, and this is really exciting me to take me away from, uh, you know, the just the art shows and stuff like that. Um, and within this, hopefully, trying to have a fixed space um, to maybe have a, a space to show, you know, beginning in Moroccan photography, but really open up to globally with a, with a tea room stuff like that. So, really, sort of going to that to be able to, um, you know, to, to help other people and, and trying to do thing. But I don't know what's going to happen between the next five years. So I really, you know, just going with. Uh, Going with the flow. Get, well, no, yeah, flow is a bit hippie-ish, but yeah, get, definitely go with the flow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Amy? So uh, for me, from a professional perspective, I have a very clear vision of what it is I'd like to achieve um, in the next three to five years. Uh, for me, I feel so strongly that I want to be able to try and create a paradigm shift about the way that we think and about how we can use business as a vehicle for social change. And um, and I would love to see Sana Jardin, our company, used as a model in other industries, in fashion, uh, in food, where we use the upcycling model to empower people at the base of the supply chain. So I hope that companies start thinking differently um, and I'm so delighted to see, as a social worker, that you know businesses are becoming much more sustainable, ethical, and 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 that brands I think are seen right now in many ways as gatekeepers for social change. So for me, this is an exciting time to be alive, and I really am looking forward to what can happen for our company and also um, commercially. 
around the world. Uh, specifically with our company, we would like to deepen our social impact work in Morocco. So um, right now, the women in the cooperative that we formed, they sell orange blossom water and they sell scented candles. It's a waste product from their flower harvest and perfume production. So we're looking to develop new products for them and continue with their, with their micro-enterprise and business skills training, and also replicate that model in different flower-growing regions around the world. So in India, where we source our tuberose, um, in Indonesia, where we source our patchouli. Uh, so deepening and expanding the social impact model. Um, on a personal level, it's always, I, f I find that a lot of my, fr my free time really is devoted to my two sons in many ways, who I hope to raise to be citizens of the world and like you said um, recognize that we are all truly one um, they come from a, a they they're half Arabic a quarter Berber and um, and then me <laughs> so so, so um, I hope to give them the skill set to be agents for change yeah thank you <laughs> thank and Siobhan, I'm sorry, we were the last one, but <laughs> saving the best for last. Oh, well, I'm not too sure about that. I mean, I have to follow these amazing people. Um, well, actually, we started this venture in Africa, so I, I see that in the next three to five years that we will definitely be working with more local artisans all over Africa, not just in Marrakesh, um, providing uh, tools to help them to perfectionate their craft. That's one of the things that we have always done when we go in and we see, okay, you know, what, 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 what is lacking and uh, emphasizing what they have that, is, that they do best. So we are looking to expand and to definitely open more ateliers and work with more people and use more local artisan and craftsmanship and material all over Africa. And at the same time, our idea is to bring this to not just um, to Asia. Uh, for example, we have a growing market in Japan, which is pretty amazing. And they're very fascinated by everything, a lot of things that's coming from Africa, which, you know, that's another market that is kind of untapped because we've always been associating with the West, the West which is US, Europe, and um, a big market in India. So, you know, cultivating and growing that. And uh, as I said to um, someone, if I can sell just 1%, you know, of Indian market, it's, you know, you're done. <laughs> yeah, you, you need, yeah, exactly. So, um, so th that is kind of the th next three to five years. Um, I have a grandson, so on a personal level is to be, to have time to spend with my grandkids upcoming future grandkids and grandson and... And come visit us in Egypt, for sure. Oh, for sure, for, for sure. sure. Because my, my daughter is um, engaged to be married to an Egyptian, yes. so um, I have a very, a very diverse family. My oldest daughter is married to a, a Russian, and my second daughter is engaged to be married to an Egyptian. I'm Jamaican. So my husband is Norwegian, so you, you, you get it. You know, we are, we are definitely a global... You are um, a global household. Yes, we are, we are. Thank you all so much for joining me on this panel. Thank you, Turia, for bringing us to Marrakesh. I can't thank you enough. Uh, it really has felt like coming to another hometown, really. It, there's so much affinity and so many similarities, and I'd like to open the floor for questions. So, Simon? Would you like, there's someone coming over with a mic. First of all, thank you all for, for, for everything. And I find, sitting here, I find it incredibly fascinating that what the discussions at 154, and so much of this is all based on social impact and philanthropy and um, giving back, which is great. But at the same time, the end goal is a commercially viable product. You know, art is, needs to be a commercially viable product. Fashion needs to be a commercially viable product. And what we're essentially trying to do is, is empower others to be commercially viable. And when you look at the rest of the business world and the rest of the, sort of the commercial world, the first starting point is always, how do we make money? But when we look at the social impact world, it's how do we help people? 
And sometimes I feel that if we were to reverse that in the social impact world, we would actually start making money more quickly for those that we're trying to help. But it always seems like it's, there's an embarrassment to talk about money and there's an embarrassment to say, well, we kind of actually want to make money here, but we're trying to help people. And is it just me who sees that? Or do you, do you see that? Or do you, is there the, the sense of, I don't want to talk about money, I'd rather help people first, even though we're trying to make money for them? I come from a hyper-commercial entity. We sell everything. So we sell, you, you name it, we sell it. But Amy, I will leave this one to you. Well, I think, Simon, I very much appreciate your question. And I think that the, con the connotation that we have with money and commercial success, I think, I'll speak as a woman on this, um, is that in many ways as women uh, or as people who desire to have a social outcome, we've been conditioned to think that it's shameful if we want to make money. And when I think about that, I think one doesn't necessarily want to make money because they want to acquire more things. What's important about money is actually that money gives you influence and power. And as women, I think globally, none of us have a much, as much influence as we actually deserve. So to me, when I think about money, I equate it to influence, which is crucially important for us as women to have right now. Um, in terms of from a commercial perspective, I do think, I mean, the trends all indicate that businesses of the last two years, if they're sustainable, they're actually more commercially valuable right now. I, I, for us, in 2017, we launched the end of 2017 through about the middle of 2018. We were sort of pushing, pushing, pushing to get into stores. In 2018, there was a huge shift um, where businesses were approaching us because they wanted sustainable ethical brands and that was coming it's down It's also from a millennial, uh, it's Absolutely. a push from the millennial generation. Uh, yeah. This idea of having sustainable products and mm -hmm. not fast fashion, for example, mm -hmm. or something that's mm -hmm. completely ready-made ready with a lot of waste. And to, to add on to your discussion about women and money, it's always a lot easier for a man to ask for a raise than a woman to ask for a raise, per, for example. And it's been stigmatized in the sense that, as you also had like pressed on, women as being a business owner and a woman. And, and I think maybe from that perspective, maybe that's why we feel as women, you have to ha also have a social impact. Money will come eventually, but you also have to have a purpose. I, I, I'm, not si I'm not discounting the importance of money, and money is essential. But I think money, it comes different when it's a, from a woman's perspective sometimes. I agree with you totally. And um, the thing is that I think also as women, we, we always equate money as a global thing because we're always taking care of other people. So for um, what's what's interesting is that we need money in order to our business needs to be successful in order for the people that is behind the artisans, the craftsmen, the, the everyone that you your whole team to survive. So it, it's not just about it's not a personal. I, I think most of us as women we don't see it as a personal end goal for ourselves. The end goal is for the rest. Because if you're not successful and your business is not working, you probably will be able to eat and survive, but a lot of people will not have that opportunity. So, so you are right, um, Simon, that we don't talk about it, but I think it's in the, um, the forefront of everyone's mind that you know, we, we have that pressure, and the pressure is not just for yourself. It's really it's, it's, it's global. It's a bigger than that, so. We, we knew when we started the brand, is it not working? Um, we knew when we started the brand that we needed to be commercially viable, as Simon says, and that we needed to have a product that stood alone on the shelves without the backstory. And um, and I look at our business as an and type of business instead of an either or. And um, you know, you can be socially conscious and make money. And it's a new way of thinking. And I would hope that as we continue to evolve, there isn't a shame associated with actually making money because that is a huge driver uh, and a need for survival that we all have. Can I get, there's another question in the, in the back here. So 
um, hi, thank you so much for this inspiring talk. And uh, thanks to Turia for organizing, you know, again, this amazing conference in such a beautiful place. Um, just, a, just a quick uh, thought, because I, I heard words that are very dear to me. Uh, paradigm shift um, and um, maybe social impact as well. Something that is, uh, is very important for probably, certainly for all of you, certainly for me and maybe for most of us here in this room today. Um, and I just wanted to steal a little bit uh, the show uh, one minute to tell that the way I am uh, trying to contribute to this movement is not from Africa, it's from Italy, but it's, um, and in my small part, I think it has a big soul. And the idea is actually to create the third uh, pole of the Venice Biennale, where there is going to be 20,000 square meters to show African art. So um, we have space for 60 pavilion, so larger than the Arsenale, where all the African country, each one of them, plus all the diaspora, will have space to show. Because one thing is speaking about art, one thing is trying to do small things, one thing is actually putting every single country on this planet on an equal path, and this is a little bit more, you know, more than inclusion and multilateralism, I think this is what is called equality what is called equal chance, what is called rebalancing, not including. Thank you so much. Uh, do you have a question? Yes, can we have the mic here up front? Um, thank you as well uh, for the very uh, interesting remarks in the panel. Um, I was very impressed and happy to be here. Um, I think it was you who said um, that we have a mindset on the continent that what is produced here is not good enough. Um, we'd rather it comes from the West. And so I'm curious, especially from the ladies sitting on my left, um, how have you been able to overcome these, these mindsets? Have you been able to sell on the continent, not just in Morocco? Have you been able to distribute your products throughout Africa? And what are some of the challenges you've, you've um, faced with that? This particularly is interesting for me because I think with where we are as a continent wanting to improve inter-African trade, this is where we are going, getting our own people to enjoy the products that are from this continent. I said that also from like a personal perspective. I'm Egyptian myself, and there's always this stigma with made in Egypt that it's never going to be as good as another product. So how do you change the stigma of made in Egypt? And, and you see it, but it just takes such a long time, and I don't know how how it is that you uh, work with that at Helmer Bags, I, I don't know because I think it's something that I'm constantly seeing amongst my friends who are in the creative space in Egypt producing handbags or fashion or whatnot and how to translate this made in Egypt being good enough. Well, um, what's amazing, and that's a good question, is because 30 years ago when I started, no one wanted, I mean, uh, actually I would say at that time we had 80% of our consumers was from the north, um, from um, uh, Germany, all of Scandinavia, um, and that was really <laughs> very, you know, and they were wearing these colorful African material, and that, that was never my, really my intention, <laughs> but that's, that, that's the way it ended up. And what, what's very fascinating is now, we're seeing this movement that's coming out of Africa where Africans are buying their own things and they're finding, you know, we are finding pride in what we do and we are now want to, you know, to go back to things that are ours and to support our, you know, support, you know, um, designers that are coming from Africa. And, and I'm really thrilled. I'm, I'm very excited. I'm very excited to see the movement and, and to see that the movement is coming from within, it's not just from outside, it, because of course Africa has become like a trend um, uh, right now from everybody else, and that's very nice, and I, I think that's a great, it's, a, it's good for us, it's, 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 it's a good um, mot uh, motor, motor, but when, uh, what's gonna make it last is the fact that we ourselves are embracing this, and um, we, have, you know, we are finally, seeing the beauty in our products and you know willing to really invest and and to go back to that so absolutely I, I don't see that I, I only see a great future actually 
for for my my goods and anyone that's doing this that's in that space. So how do people as a company get a hold of your product? Right now, <laughs> through me. <laughs> no, no. Well, you know, you, you know, you know what's 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 amazing is that um, inst I am in my fifties. I have two daughters that does that does all and um, I know all of the Instagram. And literally, I put, you know, we put, they put something on Instagram and it's, you know, we get orders and we get it from around the world. And we have been getting more and more um, this, uh, requests from Africa. And uh, so it's, you know, it, it's a global world now. So uh, that has not been our challenge yet. Um, but uh, I yeah. have to give the floor one last question in the back. Okay, because I'm conscious of time. Sorry. Can I? Okay. Hi. So basically, you guys, we've talked a lot about making luxury products in <coughs> Africa. You know, um, I think one thing to think about is like a lot of the big luxury houses can produce a shirt in China. You know, like Celine or Prada or whatever, and they can produce a shirt in China, but it's still considered luxury, right? And I think that is attributed to the fact that. France or Italy have a luxury, like, uh, history, you know, whether it's films or, you know, buildings or it's just in the culture. Whereas in Africa, it's not as <coughs> obvious, you know, when you see things like famine or poverty, it's much harder to position luxury. I think it goes beyond the product itself, you know, and luxury is... <coughs> available in Africa in terms of the environment. You know, from Saint Laurent's campaigns in natural environments in Africa, to Hermes, to Vuitton with Bono, you know. So how are you guys positioning Africa as a luxury proposition? Toria? So I'm happy to announce that our products are 100% African, <laughs> made by African artists, you know, and they all go for, you know, the international market. So, I mean, I think there's a, there's a, there's a say in what you said where, you know, if you had, you know, for 50 years the media telling you that in Africa there's only famine and civil wars and, you know, diseases, etc., it is very difficult to, you know, associate Africa with luxury, quality, you know, exciting things. But I think where I feel there's a, there's a big challenge, and I think this is also a brainwashing challenge that we have to do to ourselves, is that, you know, we have to start believing in ourselves. And uh, you mentioned it, May, but it's a bit true. I mean, I feel like, in a way, we're still waiting for the West for approval for you know Africans to start paying attention to to themselves in many ways. So for us, you know, everybody's saying that the, all the big pieces are sold to international collectors, and then you know Africans will not have you know neither the money or when you know it will be time to buy their own artist. But the truth is, they're also very you know slow in reacting, you know, because today I know about, you know, a lot of um, luxury and um, luxury goods that are bought by Africans that could be, um, you know, uh, more, uh, I mean, I guess their budget for luxury goods should be more allocated to African product, but they still believe that, you know, they need to buy international luxury goods instead of African luxury goods. I feel like even for collections or collectors here, which is more my industry, um, the fact that you know an artist belongs to an international collection is much more uh, indicative of the value of the price of a, of an artist today than if it was you know bought by an African collectors. And I think part of it is that they are waiting for the the West to buy first before being interested. Um, we are inviting, you know, most of the international collectors and we are expand, extending all those invitations to Africans, you know, billionaires and, you know, people with uh, uh, deep pockets that could buy the art, but sometimes it's a bit slow. But I think it's all about education. It's all about, you know, reinforcing those positive, you know, messages as well and trying to make sure that Africa is seen as a place where, you know, you can produce, you know, amazing creative goods, you know, from luxury to art to etc. But it takes time. So I'm not lying. It's low. I mean, I see that percentage of African interest or African positive uh, uh, um, po 
positive uh, you know reaffirmation getting there but it's it's not the the fastest i mean i feel like even at the very small um in a, in a every you know different different industry even in tourism you know like you see a lot of africans preferring to go outside africa you know uh, to spend their money instead of like spending it you know in a different you know uh, c you know countries on the continent so it, all the industry have to do their own work and i think africans have been have, have to be encouraged to you know enjoy more their uh, you know their own product um i personally you know can only bring for example 154 to morocco uh, to you know associate africa to you know something that is extremely positive in terms of we try to stay away from any images and i mean believe me it would have been much easier for us to be a charity to raise money but we really wanted to make sure that we played the same rules, the same games as the international, you know, market. So we wanted to position 154 as, you know, an international, you know, international art fair, you know, um, you know, copied the models of the international art fair to make sure that, you know, whoever was buying from us had the choice to buy at Freeze or Basel or 154, you know, for, and this is where I look, I look at positioning ourselves, you know, with the best art fairs in the world. Um, and I'm hoping that people when they think about 154 coming from Africa or from in, or coming from the international market, see us as an African, you know, as an African entity, but at the same time as somewhere where they can get the best of the contemporary art coming from the continent or you know the diaspora. I want, do you have something to add? Yes, Siobhan is going to add one. More. I, I'm so sorry. I just have to say one thing. Um, I think also the, the idea on what traditional idea of luxury is changing too. So when you say luxury, um, I think a lot of people are looking at it in a different way. And uh, before, I, I think we are going, uh, I mean, I know from, I mean, I think that's also very subjective. We do have a, um, we, have, we have had a Western <laughs> standard that's been established of what luxury was. And I think the fact is that, um, I think people are tired of that. Um, and so things that are handmade, artisanship, craftsmanship, I think those are the worlds that I'm seeing, sustainability and uh, um, something that's mass produced in China and then brought back to Italy and sewn a button on and made, made in Italy. People are aware of that. You know, they no longer want to have things like that. So that's just, yeah. I want to thank all my co-panelists for being here with me. I want to thank Turia. Special thank you for bringing us all to Marrakesh. I would also like to take this opportunity to invite you all to join us in London at Sotheby's. Uh, we will be showing uh, the African art sale alongside the Middle Eastern contemporary sale between, we are opening on March 20th, our sale is on the 24th, Adrian sales on the 25th. Uh, feel free to contact us if you're interested in starting a collection of any of these arts. We're not competing, we're friends. Same ecosystem, same boat. Uh, and thank you all so much for joining us and enjoy the rest of the sunlight. Thank you.